Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, I'm Maureen Metcalf. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and help leaders create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders in identifying how the disruptive trends we are now facing are impacting their business and developing strategies to transform themselves and the organizations to continue to thrive. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. With me today is Taryn Ash DeLong. Taryn is the managing editor of digital content at Training Industry, where she's received an Apex Award for Excellence and a regional Grand Asby Award. She contributed to the 2020 book, Global Perspectives on Women's Leadership and Gender Inequality. Taryn is the board secretary at Power of the Dream, a nonprofit creating jobs for adults with autism and IDD in Raleigh, North Carolina and a coach for the Miracle League of the Triangle. She serves her faith community as the managing editor of Catholic Women in Business, an assistant editor and contributing writer to Femme Catholic. So today we're going to talk about current research and how it's found that companies with gender diverse workforces at all levels experience better financial performance. Taryn joins the show today to share research she and her team at Training Industry conducted that reveals that leadership development provided to women is not equitable and that that leadership development is is more focused on their male peers. She discusses the conclusions of the research and how employers can overcome this inequity in training and ensure that gender diverse workforces are present at all levels, especially in the leadership level. So Taryn, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Maureen. It's great to be here to talk to you today. Is there anything you'd like to tell us about yourself before we jump in to talk about the gender gap? Uh, Like you said, I'm an editor, a writer in Raleigh, North Carolina, and passionate about supporting women uh, in their lives and in their work, which is uh, how this research came about, really. So what is the state of the gender gap of leadership in 2020? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Like many things, the answer to that question is very different now than it would have been to go before uh, COVID-19. You know, we are seeing um, the impact of the pandemic hitting men and women differently, and that's affecting women in the workplace. Everything from, you know, women, uh, the demands on them of balancing work and family responsibilities, you know, from childcare to caring for uh, loved ones who have chronic illnesses, Uh, We're seeing uh, women hit harder in industries like uh, services, retail, hospitality that are hit the hardest by the pandemic. Um, But I'm I'm wondering if there's going to be a turning point from the pandemic, if if we can see that, you know, mothers sometimes have their babies on video calls and and it's okay. And, you know, um, we're seeing successes with the empathetic approach that many leaders are taking to responding to the pandemic. Uh, there was a, a research article in the Journal of Applied Psychology that found that there were fewer COVID deaths in states that were led by women. And they did an analysis of the speeches that they made um, regarding the pandemic. And they found that they were more optimistic and compassionate. And that uh, that echoes some research that I've seen that has found that women tend to score higher in, in things like emotional intelligence, communication, and social skills, um, you know, and that kind of collaborative relational approach to leadership um, focusing on inspiring and motivating others um, and, and that service orientation. So it's an interesting time to be talking about women in leadership uh, because there's just so much at work right now. Um, and uh, on the other hand, you know, there, there's also some concern that, that COVID could exacerbate some of the gaps that we see. Um, 
the, the most recent um, Women in the Workplace report from McKinsey uh, found that there's been some progress uh, when it comes to representation in the highest levels of organizations among women, uh, more specifically white women. Um, there's still little improvement in the representation of women of color in the C-suite, unfortunately. And um, they, uh, they also identified what they called a, the broken rung of the ladder, where uh, the biggest obstacle, it seems, for women in leadership is being promoted to the manager level. So they found that for every 100 men promoted to a manager role, only 72 women are promoted, uh, which means that women hold 38% of manager positions. Um, so, uh, and again, those, are, those numbers are worse for women of color. And so it'll be uh, interesting to see how COVID impacts those dynamics. You know, if, if like I said, some of those trends of successful women leaders uh, gives people more uh, optimism when it comes to women in leadership roles and, and clear some of those barriers, or if some of the difficulties women are facing will exacerbate those gaps. Yeah, I'm assuming it's going to be a both. We actually did an interview with the author of the book, The Broken Rung. So I, I'm real familiar with that research and the idea that women just don't uh, get the first opportunity. And if we miss the first one, then we never catch up. It really is a broken rung. We just can't uh, make the same leap. And some of that seems to be attributed to unconscious bias that that leaders aren't necessarily saying men are better than women, but but they are certainly selected more often for, for the first round of training. Absolutely. So as we see women navigating more, generally more responsibilities at home, how is training industry helping address maybe with remote training and other options? I know you're doing a lot to look at how women learn and how that is different than men. Yeah, we, uh, we've been really um, inspired to see the industry kind of step up and take the lead in this area. There's so many training companies, whether you know large training providers or even independent consultants who are stepping up and saying, this is a really difficult time. Uh, let's, you know, provide you with the uh, the online training from home that will help you mm-hmm. navigate uh, things like uh, leading a virtual meeting or having, you know, performance reviews with team members who are who are far away, and um, and then things like uh, supporting mental health of employees, which has been obviously a a really big issue with uh, COVID. I think for many of us, um, navigating just everything that's happened this year. Um, and that goes into, you know, supporting employees who are dealing with, uh, that perceived conflict between family and work, you know, mm-hmm. having kids at home who are, uh, be, who are working remotely or sorry, learning remotely and, um, you know, helping them with their homework while you're juggling, you know, meeting after meeting at work and, and things like that. So I've seen a lot of training companies that are you know, taking a step back and saying, this is unprecedented. That word is overused, but still applies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, here's, here's what organizations can do to um, equip their employees, uh, including their female employees to, uh, to be successful and uh, thrive even under these circumstances. Mm -hmm. So I've been very encouraged to see the industry uh, really take that, take the lead in that. We moved all of our leadership training online immediately after the crisis. Now we're certainly continuing to update and refine the content so it'll be more effective, but we didn't want anyone to lose the opportunity to continue to grow, especially because the skills that people need now are a bit different. We still need to know how to set a vision and and all of the basic leadership skills. But to your point, running a meeting remotely, how do I manage my time differently? How do I uh, manage my mental health? Uh, As you've said, and as I've read and seen, people are losing sleep a lot over how they're going to navigate health concerns and having a job and high pressure, high level jobs with kids at home and going through the school year at for whatever period of time youngsters are are at home learning and and the stress that especially very small children don't learn you can't park them in front of an iPad for 8 hours right. they they need attention 
So the anxiety is a real issue, at least as I'm seeing from uh, people I'm coaching and working with. Absolutely. So can you give us a little bit more about the causes of the gender gap? I know your report uh, went in depth into what you're seeing and why you're seeing it. Sure. Uh, so it's a it's a complicated question. There's so many factors that go into the gap and there's so much interplay among them. But uh, research has suggested, as you mentioned, unconscious bias. Uh, for example, there was a, um, a study from Hayes, Australia that found that um, when comparing resumes that were identical other than gender, which was implied based on the person's first name, uh, the participants in the study were more likely to say they would interview and hire the male applicant. Uh, so things like that, that people aren't even really aware of that influence their decisions can exacerbate the gap between men and women in leadership roles. Um, there's also uh, what Catalyst um, organization uh, that works toward gender equality in, in business calls the double bind. Uh, and psychologists often call it role incongruity. Excuse me, incongruity. Incongruity, thank you. <laughs> um, so when a woman's behavior fits gender stereotypes, uh, she's not seen as a leader, but when her behavior uh, fits more stereotypes about what a leader is, she's seen as unfeminine. So it's that double bind, you know, she can't win. Uh, then um, we're seeing, especially uh, this year with, the, with COVID, the motherhood penalty, um, as, as scholars have called it. So, you know, women, uh, when they become a mother, they're seen as less committed to their job. They, uh, they tend to be more likely to have lower competency ratings. Uh, they're less likely to be promoted. They tend to have lower starting salaries than women without children and uh, than men. And men tend to not face those same penalties in the workplace. So you know, as, as couples start families, the husband can get ahead more easily than the wife can. In fact, I have uh, male colleagues, this was years ago, that there was a perceived positive bias toward men that were married with children because they're now stable and committed to their work and women are perceived as more committed to their family, less committed to their work. So there was a clear bias and I don't know how much of that continues. Yes. I've seen that as well uh, in the research that I've looked at. And um, it's, it's a shame because I think that in, in some ways being a mother can, can make you a more effective leader because um, I mean, I'm not a mother, uh, but I, I had a mother and she, uh, she definitely was a leader in our home and, uh, I can see, you know, so many ways that uh, that being a mother can improve the workplace. So it's a shame that that bias exists. Well, and the research tells us that the same skills that women leverage to be effective in the home are also useful in the work. I mean, some skills, the home management skills, the negotiating, the multitasking, all of those things, especially if as women, we are both uh, carrying on high level jobs and navigating managing a household with children and a spouse and all of the complexities of homes. Yeah, it's, uh, I think again, especially true this year, it'd be interesting to, you know, a few years from now, maybe compare uh, leaders uh, who were mothers versus leaders who were not mothers and see, see how they handled this crisis. Because mm -hmm. uh, I can see, yeah, so many ways we're dealing with a, a toddler or a family with lots of children could, could make you really great at being adaptive and flexible and mm -hmm. manage high, high levels of emotions. <laughs> yeah. Once you're through it, right. I, I'm also <laughs> seeing just um, significant anxiety because getting it right. Isn't an option, right? When you're talking about your children, it's important to get it right. And if your job is especially the primary income for the household, that's important to maintain as well. I work with a client right now who's suffering significant anxiety with exactly that balance because she's the primary wage earner. So the stereotype of the husband has the job and supports everyone is, is often no longer true. Yeah, there's uh, um, so much of that. And I think uh, it's incumbent on organizations to recognize that that's the case and that many of their female employees might be going through similar situations and, and really need their support now more than ever. Mm -hmm. And so Taryn, what does that support look like from an organization? Um, so 
There's a variety of approaches to take. And I think, you know, a holistic approach that takes into account hiring policies and performance management and benefits is critical. Um, our research at training industry, you know, our name, as our name implies, we focus on, on corporate training. And so we looked into the impact that learning and development can have on either exacerbating the leadership gap or uh, bridging it. And mm-hmm. um, so we learned um, several uh important findings, I think, um, that are, are really telling. So first of all, we just asked um, if men and women, how men and women perceive their leadership training, if they, if they think that they've uh, participated in leadership training, that's really effective for them. Um, and men were more likely to say that they had 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 leadership training that made them better leaders. And so it seems that the, the gender gap really starts uh, perhaps with the preparation that men and women have to become leaders. Okay, so back what you talked about at the beginning, the broken rung, and even at the very beginning, accessibility for leadership training is different between men and women. Yes, it's, it certainly seems that way from our research. So we're going to go on a break at this point. We'll come back with Taryn Ash DeLong, Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about the gender gap and how to help women grow as leaders, address the gender gap, and also how they learn and grow. So as we go into break, I encourage you as our listeners to think about your own careers, whether you're male or female, did you have the same opportunities as your opposite gender colleagues? And how did those differences in opportunities impact your career success? We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're talking about research finding on women's access to leadership development. You're with Maureen Metcalf and Taryn Ashtalong. So Taryn, during break, we were talking a little bit about the glass cliff and how this is interesting to you. Can you share with our listeners what is the glass cliff and why, why is it interesting to you? Sure. So the glass cliff phenomenon was... Um, a name coined by researchers several years ago now when they found uh, in their research that women tend to be promoted to senior leadership roles during a crisis, uh, which um, can sometimes set them up for failure, right? You know, if something goes south, uh, they could be seen as the the reason, even though they were promoted during that crisis and kind of inherited whatever they got. Um, 
And uh, they uh, posited a couple different possible causes of this. One is a status quo bias. So if things are going well, you know, why rock the boat? So we have a male leader, things have been going really well. Let's not take the risk and hire a female leader if we've never had one before. Or uh, it, it might also be that traditionally female skills are, are things that are more highly valued during a crisis. So, you know, that kind of like what we were talking about earlier, that collaborative approach, that more relational approach to leadership is possible, mm-hmm. but that's seen as, as an asset during a time of crisis. Um, and uh, so there's, you know, many examples that we can point to of women who have been kind of victim of, of the glass cliff phenomenon. Um, something we found in our research is that while there are many critical leadership skills that women tend to receive less training on, we did find that executive women were more likely to say that they'd received training in change management than men were. And um, there's there was no way, you know, based on our research to say that that's directly related to the glass cliff phenomenon. But we we did hypothesize maybe that women were promoted into crisis leadership uh, roles during a crisis because they'd had that training, or maybe mm-hmm. they received that training after being promoted into that kind of position. And um, so one of the conclusions that we came to was that's good. You know, let's keep providing mm-hmm. that training to both men and women, but certainly to women, if they're, if we know that statistically speaking, they're more likely to have those kinds of roles, let's prepare them for it. And um, that kind of occurred to me as, as interesting um, during the, uh, during this pandemic, because uh, like I said earlier, where people are noting how uh, many female leaders seem to be excelling during this crisis. And it's too soon to really, you know, draw any conclusions mm-hmm. from that. But, um, but, you know, might be that we're seeing a little bit of a detour mm-hmm. from this glass cliff that maybe, you know, there's so many women who are excelling in this area. Um, I think that's really promising, you know, having those success stories out there younger women can see them and, and know that there's, uh, they have that potential as well. And I'm um, seeing that uh, opportunity for leader or leadership development professionals to um, include change management skills, crisis leadership skills in their training programs to prepare uh, leaders for the unexpected crises like we're seeing this year. Yeah, I came out of one of the large consulting firms and I was in the change management practice. And and again, this was a long time ago. And at that point in time, there were more significantly more women in change management and significantly more men in the strategy practice. And I think your report talked about women being more likely to get change training, men being more likely to get business strategy training, and I think negotiation skills as well. Is that correct? Yes, those were two big areas that we saw men, uh, men were more likely to receive training in. And of course, those are two skills that are obviously very important to being promoted into leadership roles and excelling in those leadership roles. And um, so things like, you know, creating and executing on a strategic plan or negotiating, you know, both for yourself in, in job interviews or promotion decisions, as well as negotiating on behalf of a team or a company, um, those skills are just not taught to women as often as to men. And so that kind of sets them up you know, when, uh, when they're being considered for those positions, if they don't really have any preparation for those, uh, those types of tasks, then that gives them a, a pretty significant disadvantage when it comes to um, being promoted or hired into those positions. And then if they are promoted into those positions, um, being able to really excel in them. You know, years ago, when we developed our leadership competency approach, both, both mindsets and behaviors, we really struggled with the question of, is there women's leadership and men's leadership? How should we train leaders? And we we came to the conclusion that good leadership looks like X. And generally, there are skills more associated with women, although each of us is uniquely individual. And there are generally skills that we associate with men. And yet, to be truly effective, I, as a woman, need to master things like collaboration, humility, I also, which are generally seen as more female. I also need to master the, the skills like commitment to right action and 360 degree thinker, which may be more typical of an engineering mindset or, or again, very stereotypically male mindset. And I think it's really important for us to, to think about for women, making sure that we get the education and things that we're not stereotypically predisposed or wired to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the the things that came out of our research was was that importance of personalizing the learning experience for each individual person. Uh, you know, we found differences in the ways that men and women like to learn. Uh, we found differences in the effectiveness. Um, for example, one of the uh, the big takeaways was uh, that women who said that they had received formal coaching. So, you know, they had a a coach assigned to them or they worked, they went out on their own and hired a coach to work with them on their professional development and their leadership skills. Those women were much more likely to say that their leadership development experiences had been effective in helping them become good leaders. So that, that gender gap that we found between men and women for leadership training almost completely disappeared when we looked at uh, women who had received coaching. So I want to reiterate that because that's such an important finding. And I remember reading that in your report and finding it curious that, that say we, we host a class for a lot of my work as technology leaders, men, women, um, people of, of various shades and colors from different nationalities. And we try to deliver a consistent experience for our learners. But what I read from your report is for women specifically, if they get coaching, they will find that one size fits all kind of leadership training much more effective than their male counterparts. Absolutely. And that fits with what we know about coaching in general, right? It's in, it's a great way for, for people to explore their goals, explore what's holding them back and kind of overcome that. Um, but it does seem that that is more effective for women um, or, or especially effective for women. Uh, we also found that women were less likely to say that they, they preferred to learn that way. So, um, hmm. which was interesting. And um, when we did this, when we found, uh, when we did this research, uh, the uh, Me Too movement was in full swing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, leanin.org had recently come out with a survey where they found that men were very reluctant to mentor women. And so that was uh, something that we kind of took into account when we were thinking about what this research meant and why, why these results could have been different for men and women. And, and we thought, well, maybe the approach that many organizations take to coaching is more fitted to a male learner. You know, maybe things like the Me Too movement are making people uncomfortable in, um, in a coaching environment, in a coaching relationship, if it's a man and a woman. Uh, maybe the mm-hmm. uh, the goals that coaching is focused on are um, are more geared toward men, um, and we, you know, there's there's so many different reasons that mm-hmm. that coaching might be tailored more toward men, consciously or unconsciously. If most leaders are men, then most programs made to develop leaders are going to be aimed at the people that have been participating in it, and so um, we really came out of this research wanting organizations to know that coaching is great, but they need to make sure that they're providing coaching that is good for their individual learners. And so take a look at, you know, all facets of a leader's personality of their individual career goals, their individual strengths, Mm -hmm. weaknesses, uh, preferences, needs, and that includes gender. Gender is part of who we are. And um, so really considering that in implementing those coaching programs and making coaching a better um, fit for women, making it more appealing mm-hmm. to women so that they can then uh, really engage in those programs and get those benefits that we saw. You know, years ago, so I'm a coach, so I have a strong bias. Years ago, I was working for Accenture and they had a really effective women's mentoring program. So not exactly, it was kind of a hybrid of, of mentoring and coaching. But we gained skills. We were we were able to select a mentor across several different facets, and so some people chose a same gender mentor to deal with those issues that would be gender related. I happened to choose a male mentor who was an expert in something I was trying to learn to do, uh, implementing large system uh, transformation software because that was what was most pressing for me at the time. And I loved that I had the flexibility to go to these large meetings and learn about uh, women, the issues that many women or many people in the workplace face, uh, more, more typically women. 
And yet I still had the freedom to pick a mentor uh, based on what I needed. And I, I realize I'm mixing mentoring and coaching uh, primarily because that program offered both the mentoring structure and one-on-one -on -one coaching with someone whose skills I really admired. Well, that's such a good point because if we limit coaching and mentoring relationships to, you know, they have to be the same gender as the person who's being mentored or being coached, that's going to limit the number Access. of people available for women because there are fewer women in leadership mm -hmm. roles. And um, so we, it's important for women to have those role models who are also women so that they can talk to someone who's gone through some of the same challenges that they have that mm -hmm. are inherent to being a woman in the workplace. But if they only have access to women, then they might not have access to senior leaders who can then, you know, sponsor them in the workplace and advocate for their careers. They might not have as much access to men who have, like you said, some of the specific experiences and specific skills that they're needing. And so I think uh, that's a great point that having that balanced approach is, is really, I think, needed. So when you think about coaching and specifically in your research, was that only one-on-one -on -one coaching or, or was it also various kinds of group coaching? And I'm just thinking of the economics of getting every female executive, uh, an executive coach doing that work. It, it's a significant investment or can be. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And we didn't drill down into, you know, group versus individual coaching. Um, but I, yeah, I, that's an interesting question. I would, I would like to explore more. Um, I would imagine just based on uh, what I've read and the people I've talked to that um, co any coaching is better than no coaching at all. And there's certainly mm -hmm. some great benefits to having a group working with a coach, you know, having multiple colleagues that you can learn from their experiences as well. And uh, like you said, the economics of it, just being able to scale it in that way also provides some great benefits. One of the things our program does is we have learning partners. And so the learning partner is matched based on an algorithm, someone who, who is at a similar level of developmental maturity. So complexity in their thinking and those kinds of things. Uh, then we also, in some of the programs, they have access to mentors. And then coaching, though, is a different investment. And in some cases, we have group activities, in some cases, individual. Because again, depending on your level in the organization and the, the organization's budget, it, it isn't always available to have an executive coach. While most people might uh, wish they could, it's just, it's just not an option in many cases. Right. Especially uh, in these times when you know budgets are getting mm -hmm. cut. Um, it's important to find those efficiencies where you can provide, you know, some still very valuable development to employees at, at lower cost to the employer. You know, one thing I would say for our listeners that we're hearing more of, you know, we talk about traditional mentoring, which is perceived as an up-down, a senior executive and a junior person. And yet now we're looking at the idea of co-mentoring where it's not I am more experienced, therefore I'm helping you, but I'm more experienced, therefore I, I may have more access. I may be more senior in the organization. You are more junior. You have more insight into what's happening at the grassroots of the organization. Again, stereotypically, you're probably more competent with technology. If it's a racial diversity, I as the senior person or I as the, the, the person who's Caucasian there are a bunch of things I don't know about being a person of color in the workplace. I need to learn as much from you, the person of color, as you need my access. So I, I think if we break with the belief that I'm senior, you're junior, therefore equation, it, it may really open up some opportunities to expand the mentoring base. Absolutely. I think that's a, it's a good acknowledgement that learning never ends and, and organizations really need to support that. Especially right now, as we're facing levels of social unrest, I think so many of us have a long way to go. And I include myself in that us, there are things I thought I knew that I just, I need to get smarter and those relationships help. Absolutely. I, I agree with that on for myself as well. <laughs> so you are with 
Taryn and Maureen, and we are talking about research finding on women's access to leadership development. And I encourage our listeners as we go into break to think about for you what learning tactics were most effective in your leadership development, whether it's in-class training, on-the-job assignments, mentoring, coaching, uh, stretch stretch opportunities, uh, rotating through different countries. There are lots lots of tactics that we use. Think about what has been most effective for you and who have you made those opportunities available for within your organizations. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. We're in segment three of research findings on women's access to leadership development. And uh, this is Maureen Metcalf and Taryn Ashdelong. Sorry, Taryn. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and during this segment, we're going to talk about specific tactics we can take to ensure the investment in leadership development for women and, and frankly, for everyone is an effective development. So let's start about managers' support of leadership development. What do you see in there? Yeah, so we uh, we saw that when employees believe that their managers really support their leadership development, they're more likely to say that they have access to effective leadership training opportunities. Um, and that held true especially for women. So that suggests that when women have a manager who really supports their development, when they, you know, are, are supporting their goal achievement and helping them develop their skills, helping them advance in their careers, that, that makes a really big difference in women's ability to develop their leadership skills and advance in the workplace. So when you say support, what comes to mind for me is, one, I give you the budget. Two, I give you the time to actually attend the training and do the work. So if you look at our leader development training, it's a significant investment of personal time going through the development process. So while the time sitting in the classroom is modest, the amount of time I actually spend reading, listening to radio shows, reflecting on things, looking at my skills, taking assessments, all that stuff, the inside stuff that someone doesn't pour into my head, but that I have to to invest time to do and practice is an investment. And while I don't think that it is the job of the employer to make sure I get every minute of that while I'm in the office, I need, in many cases, people need some time in the office to do it. 
Absolutely. And I think this really comes down to managers having relationships with their employees, you know, knowing them as more than just, well, they're getting this task done today and, and then I'm good. You know, mm-hmm. knowing, knowing where they want to go in their careers, knowing what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what their goals are, and then, yeah, providing them with the budget and the time to go to a training, but also making sure that they're, they are able to prepare for that training with, with like you said, pre-reading mm-hmm. or, and enriching that training with, books, with podcasts, you know, with, uh, with opportunities to practice. Exactly. That's uh, something that research finds again and again is that, it, you know, learning doesn't stop when you leave, when you leave the classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it has to keep going. You have to practice those skills in order to really sustain that learning and make it mm-hmm. part of who you are as a leader. And so our research found that managers who provide those opportunities to practice those skills are really the ones that make a difference in, in women's advancement. Uh, so, you know, things like stretch assignments, you know, if a project comes up, that's really going to help a woman flex those new skills and learn on the job, making sure that those stretch assignments are being distributed equitably. You know, there's other research has found that they tend to not be given to men or to women as often as they're given to men. And so managers who understand that that's the reality and then really look at who am I giving these assignments to are my female employees who have those goals and want to develop those skills. Are they getting those opportunities uh, at the same rate that men are, those managers mm-hmm. are the ones that will help their female employees be more successful, which means that they'll help their organizations be more successful too. Yeah, I have just a limited data set, but, I, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, we run a program of 50 people per cohort once a year for technology leaders. And I'd say probably 10% of them drop off after the second class. And so then we come back at the end of the year, we talk to their boss, the CIO, and they want to talk about the improvement they've made or not made. And what we have to say is they dropped out after the second class. They've missed 10 months of the program, and it appears they never logged on to the online platform. The fact that that's a surprise for the supervisor or boss, and our, our folks aren't terribly junior, is curious to me. And to the point, the manager uh, may either be structuring the workload in such a way that it it just happens during the pandemic. Certainly people had significantly more workload in technology than they did before. But prior to that, either the work was too much, they didn't like the class, whatever the reason was, it was surprising that some of their sponsors had no idea and they're investing a reasonable amount of money in sending their folks to class. Yeah, that is that is very surprising and and a little discouraging. Um, you know, they there's a what people people say this often in regards to performance reviews, right? That an employee should never be really surprised by what they hear in a performance review from mm-hmm. their manager because they should be having those conversations throughout the year. And I think the reverse should be true as well. Um, the managers should know what's going on in the employee's work life, should know if if they have this training and they're not going. And that shouldn't be a surprise to mm-hmm. them because either, you know, they're helping them make the time for it or they're checking in with them and saying, hey, how is your, how is this program going? What are you mm-hmm. learning? Or, you know, are you getting much out of it? And, and those conversations uh, not only keep the manager uh, up to date on what their employee is doing, but also makes the employee know that their manager cares about them. They care about their growth. They they care about their success. And it sounds like a little thing, but it, it makes such a difference, I think. And our, our research certainly supports that. And all of the research I have as well says bosses who are engaged with their employees' activities on a regular basis, they, the employee is significantly more likely to be engaged. And when the leader is disengaged, they are the employee is more likely to be actively hostile. So, so to reinforce managers' activities matter all across the spectrum. Absolutely. And again, to sound like a broken record, I think we're seeing the importance of this even more this year. Mm-hmm. You know, um, having even more regular check-ins with employees, um, making sure, you know, that they're just kind of doing okay. And that mm-hmm. kind of, you know, those... I hesitate to say softer aspects of leadership, but for lack of a better word, you know, those interpersonal, maybe that is a better word, yeah. <laughs> interpersonal aspects of leadership are, are so important to keeping employees engaged, keeping them going through 
uh, a difficult time, but then even in the mm-hmm. best of times, uh, you know, we're all people, we're not machines. Mm-hmm. And so those relationships are critical. You know, it, as we go through the pandemic, I am always looking as we can do differently that wouldn't have happened in the same way had we not had the pandemic. And, and I think, you know, as we're meeting, certainly engaging with our team more often on how they're doing, just connecting and making sure people aren't out, you know, floating in, in limbo. Uh, then the other is, how are you being? How do you feel? What do you need from me? How, how, how's your anxiety level? How's your health level? You know, those things that are more about being than doing. But if I'm not being healthy and resilient and uh, agile, then I am less likely to be able to do the work that I need to do. And yet as leaders, many of us, myself included, were taught that you, you plan the work, you manage the work, you manage the people, you manage the tasks, but you didn't manage in the same way the person's well-being. That was kind of, that went in the personal bucket that was the thing the, the workplace wasn't responsible for. And I think the humanization of the workplace is really, and I know there are are balances that, and for each of us, we have different boundaries and that'll be tricky to to navigate as we talk about Me Too and social justice and, and some people want more connection and some people want less. I think we're universally or close to universally seeing that people are craving a connection while they are in lockdown. And some of that comes from the workplace. Absolutely. I think we're seeing that, you know, while there certainly should always be some boundaries, right. Between, Mm -hmm. between work and the rest of life, that, that there are many boundaries that just can't exist. And, you know, I mean, when you have a coworker who her, her kid interrupts your meeting, I mean, that's life. That's right there in front of you on, on zoom. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I hope that this whole experience, like you said, humanizes the workplace, humanizes people, reminds us that our, our leaders, our, our employees, our colleagues, they're all living just as much of a full and difficult life as we are. And, and hopefully we don't lose that when this is all over. Well, in my case, because I don't have children at home, there are people facing much more challenges and I just need to remember, and I do every day as I'm doing things, I think about all of the things I'm able to do that other people can't. And I eat, I have enough money to buy food and shoes and medicine. And, and some people during the, especially with the, the disruption in employment, don't have all of those at the same time. I think uh, gratitude has definitely become a bigger part of, of my day this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, absolutely that there are just, I'm very, yeah, I'm very fortunate. Mm-hmm. You know, I filmed a series of videos just this morning. So this is incredibly relevant in my mind. And the idea that to be resilient, we need to manage our thinking and not go down those what if, and this could, and the scenarios and, and the people are going to think I'm stupid because my kids are in the room or whatever the the thing is and move quickly to what's the opportunity here, which is why people hear me always saying, but, but this could be better. And what I'm grateful for, because it changes, it, it helps us cut off the cortisol and the adrenaline that go rushing into our bodies. So there's a physiological shift that happens when we're able to take that simple step of moving from the, the spin that most of us, I think, are very familiar with and and turn it to take a breath and just shift to what is good in my life, even if there were plenty of deficiencies. Yeah, that's such a great point. Thank you. Well, let's move as as we're thinking about opportunities and and Based on your research, we have just a few more minutes. What do you want to make sure our listeners walk away with as they think about how to structure leadership development programs for women? I think the the most important point that we that we came away with from our research is that personalization, personalizing the learning learning experience to each employee, man or woman. 
um, you know, really getting to know as much as possible their, their individual needs. You know, there's technology that's making this easier. You know, artificial intelligence is enabling content recommendation mm-hmm. engines. You know, there's, there's Netflix at home and there's, uh, there's online platforms that work to kind of help, help with that process of understanding each, each person. And, and I think, um, what our research really drove home to us was that gender has to be a consideration in personalizing those leadership development experiences. And I think, you know, COVID happened after this research. And I think we're seeing more and more this year, the importance of, of developing leaders who can handle whatever comes and keep their employees front of mind. And we're seeing that women often have what it takes to lead in a crisis, to take care of their employees and really care for them as individuals and make that organization more successful in the, in the process. So this is an opportunity, I think, for organizations to, to really bridge that gap and uh, develop people who are going to help them succeed no matter what happens. So in the next minute, tell our listeners about training industry and how they can reach, get a hold of this incredibly valuable research. I think a lot of people don't know it exists. Sure. So uh, you can find us on trainingindustry.com. We have lots of great resources for learning and development professionals and anyone interested in improving performance at their organization. Um, we have, you know, uh, webinars, online conferences, lots of opportunities there. And you can also find our, our social media platforms on our website as well. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. So encourage everybody to check those out and follow us to get all of the latest Cool. And how would someone reach you? They can connect with you on LinkedIn, maybe? Yes, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Taryn H. DeLong. Um, and uh, happy to happy to always chat with, with people about this topic on there. So why don't you spell your name? Because it's not intuitively obvious. Yes. My first name is T-A-R-Y-N. And uh, my last name until recently was O-E-S-C-H. And my new last name, because I just got married, is DeLong, D-E capital L-O-N-G. Thank you so much, Taryn. So I'm going to summarize two of the suggestions that came out of this research that I think are foundational are providing formal coaching to women that can help bridge the learning during uh, leadership development programs. And second, effective leadership development must consider and address the individual leader's needs and preferences, including gender. So that's, that is exactly echoing what Karen just said. So thank you for joining Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. If you enjoyed this episode, please like us on whatever platform you just listened to, follow us. And if you want more information, most of the shows are accompanied by blogs, go to www.innovativeleadershipinstitute.com slash blog. And at the top of the right-hand side, you can sign up to be included in our blog feed. And that will give you information that, that accompanies each of the interviews. Thank you so much for joining. And please connect with me, Maureen Metcalf, either on LinkedIn or at my website, innovativeleadershipinstitute.com. Thank you very much, and we hope that you join us again soon. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.